Hello, Ava. Hi, Stephen. So it's uh, it's just you and me tonight. Oh, okay. This is the intimacy episode. Mm. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Ethical Seduction, your sex and relationship podcast. We explore topics and skills designed to help you get what you want, both in and out of the bedroom. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing the topic that Eva told me just a few days ago, kind of, sort of, maybe scared her a little bit. And we're going to be discussing one of the most interesting aspects of sex and relationships, maybe even like the key building block of it all, which is intimacy. Uh, There's sexual intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, lots of intimacies. There's more than one type, and we want to help you all learn how to connect a little bit deeper with those special people that are in your life. And I kind of think that's what it's what it's all about. I think that's kind of like why we date, have sex, and bond with certain people. I'm your host, Stephen, and joining me today are Ava. Hey, friends. And that's it. Brandy <laughs> is out of town, and Kimberly has got some other things that she's got to take care of tonight. And so it's just the intimate Stephen and Ava with you tonight to discuss intimacy. So have you done anything cool this week, Ava? Um, I had a little fun last night at the Mark, the, the local kink club doing that was exciting. Okay. Well, tell us about that. Uh, sure. So it was, it was a volunteer shift actually. So I was manager on duty. So I was kind of overseeing the party and just making sure things were running smoothly. Uh, but a friend of mine was, was happy enough to kind of take over my duties for like an hour and a half or so. So they were managing and overseeing the party so that I could go and run off and get a little playtime in with my partner, uh, which I wasn't planning on. It ended up being really, really nice and fun. And um, so we had a fun like spanking scene and had a good time. And yeah. So uh, listeners, uh, Kimberly and I were there last night too, but somehow we managed to miss Ava's scene. I did not know that you all did that. I guess you did it later in the night. Uh, yeah, it was later. In the- I think it, I think it was when the two of you were playing actually. Oh, okay. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, cool. Well, good. Everybody had fun then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll add, you know, it's, it's really nice. Like with our club, um, you know, we have a lot of safety protocols in place because COVID's still active and going on, everybody's masks, things like that, but it's still really nice to be getting back together and seeing people, um, got to meet a couple new people that were able to kind of come out. Um, some people actually, Ava, you and I know, and, and, um, they were able to come to the club and that was really nice. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, you know, things are starting to kind of open back up and get back to normal. And at least for us with our community, man, we've been missing people so long, you know, for like the last year you haven't seen anybody. So it is really nice to kind of get, get people, get to, get the band it's back been, together. It's been so bizarre, like getting to reconnect with folks and getting to socialize. And also there's a huge part of me that's like freaking out, like, ah, no socializing. What, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I forget that you are introverted or you, Right. Super introverted. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't see that, you know, because you're always like, when I guess when I see you, you're like, oh, how's it going? You know, and you just are very friendly and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So it's like, it doesn't, it's easy to sort of hide. I don't know. I just don't, mm. that's why I say, I don't, I just, you know, so if I just met you for the first time, I would just think, oh no, she's extroverted. So little I don't do know I if know. I feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> no, well, I don't, it's not, it's neither. I mean, being introvert or extrovert, it's not like one's better than the other. Sure. It's just, it's just stylistic, but you know, I think Kimberly is sometimes kind of quiet and I think people look at her and say, oh, she's introverted, but it's like, where do you get your energy? So I think that's where it's like, yeah, you love going out, but it's like, it'll burn you out over time. And Kimberly 
you know, she's fine by herself, but it's like, she needs that the interaction with people. I I'm, I'm like that too, man. And I am definitely extroverted. So, um, I do, I will yeah, say like, go ahead. I was going to say like, for me, it's definitely like a switch almost like turning a light on or off. Like when I'm on, I'm on, but also my battery is actively draining. Mm -hmm. Right. And I enjoy that. But yeah, there's, there's a very like finite amount of time where I can be on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's, let's talk about intimacy, Ava. Oh, okay. So, uh, Ava, this is like my, my seductive voice. I don't know why I'm using it for intimacy. So it's like, (laughs) so Ava, uh, uh, why do you want to kind of go ahead and like put forth the effort to go out on a date or hang out with other people? Like, why do you want you, like you just said, actually, you know, it's like you like doing that, but there's like energy to drain you and stuff like that. Okay. Why go through the effort of trying to, to be around and connect with all the other, with other people? Mm, I think that connection is important. I think at the end of the day, I, like when, when I make the decision to go out and, and socialize with others, pandemic or not, um, I, I want that, I crave that connection with other people so that I don't, I guess, like to boil it down so that I don't feel alone. Like we want to feel close and connected and, and like we belong in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess related to that, same kind of question, but it's like, let's talk about like sex and stuff like that. So it's like, why not just stay home, masturbate? I understand you and Brandy might have one or two toys. You know, just a couple. <laughs> just a couple, right. <laughs> so it's like, so why, again, like why go through all that effort to try to to meet somebody? Why, you know, why go through all that effort to have sex with somebody? Isn't it safer just to stay at home? Sure, it might be safer to stay at home, but then you get into the concept of, you know, are you ever really living if you don't ever actually do anything, Right. For me, I think the the snarky initial response to your question that I thought of is there are some things that you like are just more fun to do when another person is there doing it with you mm-hmm. as far as like bedroom activities go, right? Like, yeah, I could stay home and masturbate, but there are so many other things that I can do with a partner that are more sexually like satisfying and gratifying. Um, but also on top of that, I think, again, like it, it very much comes down to uh, wanting not necessarily wanting somebody to witness your life, but wanting somebody that understands you and that that connects you and sees you and is cool with you. Like there's something very validating about having that level of intimacy with someone where you're sharing, um, you mentioned like sexual intimacy um, or emotional intimacy, things like that. Sharing that with somebody and having them accept you for those, those parts of you that can be really, really scary to share with the rest of the world. When you have like one person um, with you in a moment where you're doing something really intimate, such as like something sexy in the bedroom kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really vulnerable place to be. And when somebody accepts you, like there's there's no safer feeling in the world. There's no more validating feeling in the world than when somebody accepts you in that space where you are at your most vulnerable. Yeah. And that's actually a good point. You know, um, I think we should tonight talk about vulnerability as well as intimacy, because I think you could say like they're technically separate items and that's I think they, you know, they could be, but I also feel like they're really related. I don't know how you get sort of intimate without allowing yourself to sort of be vulnerable, you know, around somebody else too. So I I really do sort of see them as as linked that you have to learn to allow yourself to be vulnerable um, in order to have that intimate kind of connection. 
So uh, one thought I have is that I think that why intimacy matters to us is like, it doesn't matter very much to alligators or, you know, certain like cats sometimes. I mean, I shouldn't say all cats across the board, but, you know, animals that are like very happy being solo, you know, and alligators are great. Well, yeah, even alligators are in groups a lot of times, but certain, what, tigers, aren't tigers like solo, you know, they go out there. Sure. So yeah, right, okay. <laughs> so, so there's, you know, we as a species though, we're like, we're very, um, we're very social. And I think what happens there again, you know, it, I really like evolution because I feel like it kind of explains some like really, I don't know what you say, like top level stuff, or maybe it's like lower foundational type stuff, but it's. Steven, are you going to tell me about gorillas again? I'm not going to tell you about gorillas. <laughs> okay. Nope. Just checking. Making sure. No, but I think like for, I think the intimacy is important because we're a social species. This is just my opinion. Okay. But you know, we're a social species, right? And so, you know, if you have the, the person that's not like tied in and like working with a group, you know, they break their leg, they're not going to survive very long. Right. So they get weeded out. They don't have the kids or whatever it gets, you know, they're, they're, they're gone from the gene pool. And so what you end up having then is the people who are surviving are the ones that, that work as a team. And that's how we kind of develop as a social species. But I think the intimacy part is like, I think kind of key to not just like connecting with a partner, but it really, I think is like that whole fabric of like society, like how we're all interconnected, you know, that it's a, I see it as almost as a function of because we're a social species, that's why intimacy ends up kind of becoming so important that just like you said, like, I don't want to be alone by myself. I need to know that I am valuable to, you know, other people around me and, and that, that kind of thing. So well, okay, so, uh, dear listeners, Ava was over at uh, at Kimberly's in my place yesterday. She and her partner came over. We had dinner, hung out a little bit, and then the topic of, like, what are we doing on the podcast tomorrow came up, and, you know, we started talking a little bit about intimacy, and then we made ourselves all shut up because we're like, no, 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 wait, wait, we have to just have this conversation, you know, tomorrow. But one of the things, Ava, that you mentioned, you were like, oh, like, tell me, I don't know what the right wording is. You're like, oh, like intimacy for you sometimes as a topic, I think is like scary or difficult. What, what, yeah. What did you intimacy, say? intimacy for me is kind of a difficult topic to wrap my head around because yes, it's a thing. Yes, it exists. I'm not going to deny that. Yes, it's important. Um, and I like my, my obsession is like understanding relationships. I can talk about that all day long. Like I have a passion for it. I think that's part of why I enjoy doing these, these episodes with you guys so much. But intimacy is not something that I, like, I want to better understand how it works. And I just don't. It's a really big topic that I'm just like, yeah, it's a thing. And, and, and it's out there. And that's all that I know about it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. So what I heard you so say. So it can be hard to talk about. So you're afraid of it. That's what you said, right? <laughs> sure. Kidding. Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So, uh, okay. But as a topic, basically wrapping your head around it is what is difficult. Yeah, I just don't think that I have a confidence about understanding it, really. Is that maybe because it's not that hard? If you take it as a top, like it can be one of those things like it's easy to understand, but hard to do. Okay. Now, if I say like, hey, everybody, we're going to talk about intimacy, right? Um, first off, everybody's like, oh, boring. You know, how hard is, oh, I already know intimacy, you know, and that's it. And I think there are things to kind of learn about it, which we're going to go through and, and talk about this evening. But I think maybe some of it is like, no, what is intimacy? It's like that connection with the other person. It may end up being that simple. And then how you go about getting there is the interesting part, you know, and in some mm -hmm. ways the harder, harder part. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you yeah. think? You 
Uh, yeah, I think that um, if I take a really logical approach to most things in life, like if I'm trying to break down a conflict that I'm having with a partner, I'm like, okay, so what's the root cause of the problem? And how do how do we address that? And what are the possible solutions? Like, there's almost this like formula in my head of like, how do we work through to our own special happy ending? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to like, how does how does one obtain intimacy if they don't have it in their life and they want it? I'm like, I don't have a formula for that. It's just something that kind of happens. So I don't, I don't know. How do you intentionally generate intimacy? That's a huge question mark for me in my head. Um, yeah. Okay. I, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. You just put your guard down and let the other person, you know, trust the other person's not going to hurt you. It's that easy. Oh, you know? okay. That's, yeah. that's far too, far right. too easy. Far too logical. The reality, <laughs> but the reality is like, you know, you can sort of either do that and it doesn't come hard to you. And it's like, okay, you can connect or it's like, you just, you can't do it, you know? And so that's why it's like, so many people are like, okay, like if I really want to do this, it's like, our, our podcast is not going to get you there. It's like, you got to go to therapy, you know, to kind of dig a little deeper to kind of find out like, what is, you know, what is going on? Why, what is, I'm going to say your, your concerns. And I want to talk about this later. It's like, there's very good reasons often to have concerns, you know? So I think it's like, nobody's just like, you know, broken, like, oh, I can't have intimacy. It's like, nobody's like that, you know? And if, if, people are wary of it. There's, there's, I think good, good reasons for it, but yeah, I, I really think it's not that hard of a thing. It's just like, how do you do it? And that is the hard part. It's like, you, mm -hmm. I don't know, almost like you, you're going to paint a picture of a dog. That's not hard, but like doing that pic picture well, like how do you do it? It's like that. Yeah. That's the tricky part. Relationships are like that. I think a lot of times, because it's like, we often, we sort of know basics about what to do or not do and then life comes along and then it's like you just get bumped this way you get thrown that way you know and um you gotta you know figure out okay you know how do i keep heading in the direction that i want to do how do we my partner and i keep talking you know and how do i not accidentally get them shutting down or something like that so yeah okay um all right well okay cool well i'm, I'm excited that you're um not sure how to talk about this. That's very exciting to me. <laughs> I'm excited, but also nervous. Are you so nervous? This will be fun. That's, that's, yeah, that's a perfect. Bit. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I like. Uh, I found this is kind of helpful. A lot of times, like getting in there, like looking left. What is the definition? You know, just to kind of clarify, like what are we talking about? If somebody's like, you know, mm -hmm. so many times we're like, oh, we think we know what the word intimacy is. Okay, and I think what I looked up was actually intimate relationships, and, and I mm -hmm. wanted to see, you know, so it. Wikipedia, what they said is an independent relationship is an interpersonal relationship. That's a great definition. Thanks. An independent <laughs> relationship is an interpersonal relationship that involves physical or emotional intimacy. So right there, that doesn't tell me much except for physical and emotional, but they haven't defined it in, in my mind. They say, although an intimate relationship is commonly a sexual, sexual relationship, it may also be a non-sexual relationship involving family, friends, or acquaintances. So the key thing that I kind of got out of there is there's like emotional intimacy, which involves feelings of liking or loving somebody. And it could be, you know, it's going to be not just one person, it could be, you know, several people. Then the same thing, you have physical intimacy, which is often characterized by maybe like romantic love or sexual activity, that kind of thing, the, the physical aspects. Um, but, but they're both just, you know, together, physical or emotional is intimacy. And then they added this. I thought this was kind of interesting to say. Humans have a general desire to belong and to love, which is usually satisfied with an intimate relationship. Such relationships allow a social network for people to form strong emotional attachments. 
so to me that like kind of kicks in with like what I was saying or my opinion earlier, that's like, we're a social species because we're a social species. We want to have that connection with the other people that that's going to make us feel safe. You know, that's how we know that, Oh, because I have this connection say with you, if I ever need help, I can kind of count on you to come help me out and, you know, and vice versa, you know? And so it's, in mm -hmm. some ways it's survival instinct, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's a good positive trait to want to be able to connect with other, other people. And then this was interesting. I found this as like four aspects of intimacy. Again, this is all coming right out of the Wikipedia and the, the definition page for it. It says, uh, genuine intimacy in relationships requires four, four aspects, dialogue, transparency, vulnerability, and reciprocity. Mm. So yeah, I was interested in your thoughts on that. Like the first one was interesting where they're like, it requires, you know, for intimacy, it requires dialogue. Do you, what, what are your, what are your feelings just in general? When I say dialogue, dialogue, transparency, uh, vulnerability, reciprocity. Okay. So I, let me take these in bite-sized pieces because when you, when you say dialogue, like the first thing in my head that, that that happens when I hear that word, that that's a requirement for intimacy is actually, I don't know if that's true because I think, I think 99% of the time it probably is, but you can set up a relationship with someone, say like a no strings attached type situation mm -hmm. where you don't want the feelings, you don't want the emotions. You just want to go and have a good time doing like sexy stuff in the bedroom. Right. And you can set it up so that you don't really need it. Okay, you do technically need an initial dialogue to set the stage, but then once everything's in motion and everything's working well, unless there's a problem, you don't really need a continued dialogue necessarily. That that one was the weird one to me. Yeah, you know, it, it, let's come back to that in a second. The other ones I think are okay. easier. So like vulnerability, we already sort of talked about that. Like, yeah, I think mm -hmm. like it's it's linked. You know, that you have to be in order to have that connection, you have to allow yourself to be sort of vulnerable and open. And then they say transparency was another aspect. And I think that's part of it. You know, how you're being open, you're being transparent and letting people see how you actually are, which is going to include maybe, I don't want to say flaws, but like fears and the mm -hmm. stuff that we don't think is like super awesome about ourselves. You know? I would challenge uh, the, like, I would like to ask the question, like, what is the difference between transparency and vulnerability when, when talking through these like aspects of intimacy, they sound like the same thing to me. Well, okay. you know, if I'm going to be vulnerable with somebody, I am being transparent with you about who I am, what I am, what I want, my, my flaws, my, you know, the good things about me and the bad things about me. Like if I'm, if I'm going to go ha and like have sex with somebody, I'm going to like show them body parts that I wouldn't normally show other people. And there's a right. level of transparency. Hey, this is what I look like. This is the package and vulnerability of don't, please don't reject me. You know? So I think. I think it's maybe this, okay? If we take all four of these dialogue, okay, we're going to talk about the transparency aspects of myself. You know, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, we're going to talk about who I really am, vulnerability. I'm putting myself out there. And then the reciprocity is to have that intimacy. It's like you have to sort of do the same thing back to me. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Yeah. The dialogue is kind of, that. it's fine. I, I think that that, probably is true of most things, but it does feel a little bit out of place to me when I kind of read that too. Uh, but it could be that you can also people smarter than us have put that in there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, I, I also, I don't know, these are interesting words for them to use because I can think of synonyms that I feel like might fit better, like mm -hmm. instead of dialogue communication, mm -hmm. um, or reciprocity. Another word that comes to mind is just participation. 
Like, does it have, does, does your intimacy need to be reciprocated on the same level? If somebody isn't ready for that, if, you know, instead of, um, reciprocating a hundred percent of it, maybe they reciprocate 75% of it because that's what they're ready for. Is that okay? You know, a lot of times people that are in romantic relationships, they don't both tell each other that they love, you know, they don't say I love you at the same time. Usually it happens for one person and then later on it'll happen for the other. Like people don't fall in and out of love at the same time. So does reciprocity need to be matched or can we settle for participation? Okay. So I have an opinion on this. I, I think it needs to be matched. Okay. But there's a give and take balance to it. Okay. So it's like if somebody puts it, puts something out there and it's a little bit unbalanced, then I think what happens is it starts the two people as they interact, it comes back to where it balances. So mm. it's never like quite, you know, somebody's always like likes the other person a little bit more or something like that. But if I don't think it can be imbalanced and be, I'm going to, I don't want to say healthy, but I don't think it can be imbalanced and like last. I think if it's imbalanced, it's going to feel weird, you know? So that's why I think like over time, you, somebody's got to say like, I love you first. And the other person says, uh, thanks, you know? Okay. <laughs> but then eventually that's going to balance out. The person who says, I love you is going to be quiet and not say it as much, you know, because they're realizing like, oh, I'm whatever pushing too much. It's the other person not ready for it. Or yeah. the other person's going to be like, you know what? I thought about it last night and I love you too. You know, I, I think that over mm -hmm. time it's going to balance out. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, good point. Right. Um, this was interesting too. It says in anthro anthropological research, intimacy is considered the product of a successful seduction, a process mm. of rapport building that enables parties to confidently disclose previously hidden thoughts and feelings. Intimate conversations become the basis for these confidences, the secret knowledge in parentheses that bind people together. So what I like about that. Okay. And what I think is kind of cool is that, um, so again, this is the anthro anthropological research that that's how they're sort of defining it. It, that there's a sort of element of like, you're learning about the other person and you're holding their trust. So in this case, they're sort of saying like, you're, you're holding their secrets and you know, it's something that say Ava, like you and I, like we've shared this thing. Okay. We're not telling all the rest of the world. We're not necessarily comfortable with that, but you and I sort of have admitted things to each other, you know, we're got each other's backs, that kind of thing. And that's, yeah. that's really important. Cause I think a lot of times if somebody does share a secret with you, I mean, my opinions on secrets, you know, are like, there's reasons why people do it. Nobody wants to really have secrets or keep the secrets because they're a pain in the ass, unless there's a reason to actually have them. And it's, you know, protecting somebody, protecting yourself, something like that. So I think a yeah. lot of times if somebody is willing to kind of open up to you and share a secret, it's like, I, I think that's kind of special a lot of times. And I'm not saying like never go, you know, whatever, tell other people, you know, you have to make your own calls on that. But I think a lot of times it's like, no, somebody's sharing a secret with you. There's, th that's something special. And there's a reason that they trust you with it. And there is a connection then that you feel, you know, often with that. So what are your thoughts? You want me to read it again? I agree with you. No, 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 I'm good. I think, um, it, it, it that was a lot to kind of try to digest, but, mm -hmm. uh, I think that I had a thought and it's like slipping away from me and I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, if you are going to share a secret with somebody um, or share a flaw of yourself with somebody and trust them with that, you're essentially giving them power over you to a degree, right? Yeah. Like now they're armed with this knowledge that they can use for good 
um, or, you know, and they can protect your secret and not, you know, put it on blast to the world, or they can use it for bad and they Mm -hmm. can tell everybody. And then you're going to feel super betrayed and hurt. And, um, and that vulnerability that you provided is going to be betrayed basically. Right. So it's, you know, for me, it kind of relates a little bit back to this, this like kinky concept of like power exchange. Like you're, if you give, if you give somebody a secret of yours or share a flaw of yours or something that's scary to share with the rest of the world, you're giving them like a little morsel of power and saying, you know, I trust you not to harm me with this. Yes. So I want to talk about that. Okay. Cause I totally agree with you. You know, that's goes back to that whole thing about vulnerability, you know, um, vulnerability is really hard to give that other person the power where they can hurt you. You know, like our mm-hmm. instinct is like, don't do that. But I think the reality is, is going back to like, why do we want to do it for the intimacy part? You know, so you have to take mm-hmm. a, you have to take a risk. And I just want to say like, you have to be smart about which risks you take, you know, but you're taking that risk. You're being vulnerable. Just like you said, the other person can hurt you. But then when they don't, that's when you have that connection, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where you feel, you know, loved, valued, appreciated. They got your back, you know, all those kind of things. So it's that, that vulnerability aspect is important in order to kind of help build that intimacy that we, that we want. But yeah, you have to sort of take that risk and you have to give the other person the power. You have to give them the freedom to hurt you. And then absolutely, the, the cool thing is when they don't, you know? And so you know, I'm sure like people are going to be like, well, I did that and that person hurt me and they're, they're a bitch and he's an ass. And, and that does happen. And like I say, I think the trick is like learn when and how, you know, how do you make a wise decision of when to open up? And, and that is part of this whole like dating and relationship thing is like, you don't just open up in the beginning, you know, because you can get hurt, you know, and therefore mm-hmm. it's like the, to, I think a big part of it is like learning how to go along and do it slowly. And it is process, you know, we're not supposed to just like meet the person that we're going to fall in love with and get married with and have kids and that's it. You know, you just do it. And we did it all in a month, you know, it's like, you can't, you know, <laughs> it, it takes time to kind of go through that whole thing. So Absolutely. Yeah. I remember, um, a job that I had once, once upon a time, not, not too long ago. Um, my boss, really, really great boss, super transparent, like really great person to have kind of like directing the team. And it took me a solid year before I trusted this person enough to share with him that I was polyamorous because he kept like asking about like, how are things? How's your boyfriend? How's like, like, you know, standard stuff that you ask people in the workplace, like Mm -hmm. really innocent questions. And I wanted so much to be able to tell this person like, Hey, so this is what my life is like and be able to talk about it in a normal way. But man, sharing that information with your boss, like that can, that can make things really hard for you at work. In fact, that could like, depending on where you work, like you could lose your job. And this is a person that I I am friends with today and I wanted to be able to trust that, but there was just so much risk there that I didn't, I didn't trust the situation, but a year into things, like a year after working with this person, I'm like, okay, I think that I can trust this person. I'm going to share this next time we do like a, a, you know, a team outing type of thing or whatever. And I did, and it was fine and it was super, super great. And it went exactly the way that I was hoping that it was, but it took me a year before I felt confident enough to be able to be vulnerable and trust that person with that information. Yeah. And so did you, uh, I assume that in that year period, you have like many conversations to kind of feel the person out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's um, lots of like breadcrumbing opportunities. Yeah. Right. And I think that's exactly, I think that's what you want to do, you know, and, uh, just, you know, be wise. And you're, again, you're trying to feel this person out and eventually you feel safe enough and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say something, 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's like, why say something? Why do you need that person to know who you are? I'm going to ask you that question. Why do you care? Why do you care about your boss? What he thinks about, you know, why, why take the risk? Because it was so nice getting to hear, you know, hey, what did you do over the weekend? And he would tell me, oh, well, I, I took my wife and my kids to the beach and we had a great time. What did you do? I'm like, I have yeah. to make up an answer because I can't be super transparent, right? right? Like, And just wanting to be able to reciprocate the the transparency that he was offering. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I went through that with um, my family, kind of, but not all of my family knows everything. Um, but like, I'm going to say my kids, for example like how Kimberly and I met, you know, we met mm-hmm. for, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, first I, I did not know Kimberly. Our names got pulled out of a hat. I got the spanker the next day. She wrote me and said, Hey, <laughs> thanks for spanking me. And that started us talking. And then there we go. Okay. So how do you tell like your parents and stuff that like, that's how you, that's how we met. Okay. That's ridiculous. They're not going to get it. You know, I think so. So, so, so we have not told them everything, dear <laughs> listeners, please keep my secrets. Please do not out me to blah, 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 blah. Um, and <laughs> I trust you. I like you and I trust you. Okay. Um, but then when it came to like my kids, I was like, I don't want to like have this thing for, you know, hidden from them or for them not to know, like that just really rubbed me the wrong. Well, I guess what it is, is like, I want them to know who I am you know, and, and Mm -hmm. so Kimberly and I got to the point where we're like, okay, you know, like they're old enough and fine enough to where it's like, you know, we're going to tell them this and, you know, it might be awkward for a minute and then they're going to be whatever. So we literally, you know, at the dinner table one night was like, Hey, we want to share this thing with you of, you know, we have something to tell you. (laughs) This was funny about, you know, Kimberly and I, and my daughter was like, you've been doing drugs. And I was like, what? Oh my no. gosh. Like, I thought, like, where'd that come from? Like, that's, what, I think it's the way we set it up. Like we have something serious to tell you, you know, and oh. I think that's why she, but anyway, we sort of laughed about that and was like, no, that's not it. You know? And then it was like, here's what we do. And you know, it was funny. I mean, we kind of laughed and then it got a little bit, not awkward, but then it was like, you know, the kids are kids. So it's like, what do you do with it? So then they're like, uh, son's like, um, I think I'm going to get some more chocolate milk. You know, it's like, okay, good. You know? (laughs) So that was that, but it was like, then they knew. And I think they actually really kind of appreciated knowing not that they really care, you know, and a lot when they Mm -hmm. don't really care, but the fact that we went through the exercise to like include them in this, in this, uh, I'm going to say it, the secret since not everybody else in the family knows, you know, and they know that. And I didn't go tell them like, do not tell anybody else. It's like, I'm sort of trusting them to, you know, make their own decisions and judgment and things like that. But I got to tell you, it's really nice to have them know the honest thing. And, you know, I don't want to have that as a, as a secret from them, you know? Yeah. That's got to be um, empowering almost, right? Like, here's a thing that I don't have to worry about hiding from from all of the world like the people that are closest to me right there there doesn't have to be that barrier i can be transparent with them there's something very you know empowering about being able to entrust them with that kind of information yeah now this does actually i was not planning on talking about this but it is related to intimacy but um you know there's you can't always tell people you know like i'm going to say like with us you know hey we're kinky or poly or you know have different play partners and things, right? You can't always tell every family member, like it's not going to be a benefit for them to know. It might Mm -hmm. cause them anguish or things like that. Right. And that's why we're like, okay, well then I'll choose to keep it a secret or not tell them, you know, that that's where I think like often we do these things to kind of protect them. And that can be hard though. And I went through this for a while where it was like, I was not 
like I kind of for myself, like knew that I was kinky and I knew I wanted to explore things, but you know, the timing was not right and I didn't have an outlet for it. And so there was, you know, several years, several years where it's like, I'm trying to wrestle with like, how do I make all these different kind of aspects work? You know, like I kind of knew a general direction that I wanted to head, but I was not there yet. And that was, that was, that was kind of hard, you know? So it's, there are, I don't know if I have a whole lot of advice for people listening, if you're in that situation, other than to say, like, a lot of people go through times like that, you know, where you can't be fully out or fully honest with, with those around you, even though you'd want to. And that does kind of hurt some of the intimacy a little bit, or it's not, maybe hurts not the right thing. You, you're not able to kind of go deeper, at least on that topic mm-hmm. with them, you know, so that limits you. Yeah. And so maybe that's kind of, I guess the important thing is it starts to like, the every relationship, friendship, romantic relationship you have, it's like, it's how do you define it? You know, it's probably not going to cover everything about you. The hopes, excuse me, the hopes are that this person can know everything about me and I feel safe enough to kind of tell them and they, you know, accept me for that. But I think more often than not, you know, the average person out there does not want to know everything about you or is not going to be okay with everything. And that's what I think makes the few people that we really can open up with like really special to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to keep in mind that you don't want to be a hundred percent vulnerable and intimate with, with every single person that you meet. Right. And there are certain examples that I think we've, we've kind of mentioned that, you know, for, for many people, it may not be safe to have that level of vulnerability and intimacy with a certain person. For example, a lot of people don't come out in the workplace about being polyamorous or being kinky or being queer, right? Like there are certain, certain um, instances where it's just not safe to do that in the workplace or with like immediate family members, like with parents. Um, I know, Stephen, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but like for me, everybody in my family knows that I am polyamorous except for my father, not because I, I, think that he would be upset about it, but mostly because he had a stroke several years ago and his like behavioral, like cognitive functions are just not as resilient as they once were. Mm. And I know that it would be harder for him to like kind of think through and process and, and, and like deal with all that. I'm like, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't need it. I don't want to put that on him yeah. after everything that he's been through and that's okay. And that, you know, I just, I think that that's the best situation for my relationship with my father and there's nothing wrong with that right you don't need that level of intimacy with everybody i think what's important is that you have a high level of intimacy with with somebody or with some people yeah so like if you're not out in the workplace make sure that you have a community that you can be out with or a social circle that you can be out with you can have an outlet for that level of intimacy in one area of your life but not all areas that's not absolutely necessary yeah i i think you're kind of making my point um if you don't have that group you know, you, you need to have some people that you could be out to and talk, talk with, you know, on whatever the, whatever mm-hmm. the topic or issue, when you don't, then that's where you start to feel kind of really lonely and isolated. And I think that is where the, the bad stuff starts to kind of happen to you, you know? So it's like, yeah, if you, you know, find yourself that you're not, that you got this thing, especially if it's like this burning thing inside you, you know, that is important to you, you've got to find some people you trust, you know, and mm-hmm. the best thing my opinion is like to find groups, you know, find, find social groups, even if they're like online, if you're in a small town, someplace that you don't have access to like meeting people really, you know, in that group in person, it's like an online thing just to kind of know that you're not alone is huge, yeah. huge help. So, 
this this was interesting. So when I was doing a little bit of research on intimacy, I kept coming across uh, the name Helen Brenner, and that she has. There's an article I'm going to put in a, a link to it here. Um, says there are four types of intimacy, and only one includes touching. That's the title of the article. But the the four types of intimacy kept popping up. So this reminds me a little bit of like the love languages where I was like, like I wanted to know, like, do people agree there's just four types or there's mainly four types of intimacy? I could never kind of like verify that or whatever. Everything was like more of like, if you start doing the research on Google or whatever, it's like, you just find like, yeah, there's four levels of intimacy, says Helen Brenner. So we're, we're going to, you know, I can't swear this is like the be all and end all, but I thought this was really interesting and it was worth talking about because I think it just helps us think about intimacy a little bit differently. So she's got four, four different types. She has physical intimacy, which is the hugging, kissing, massage, sexual touch, cuddling, proximity. So I thought the proximity was kind of cool. And emotional intimacy, which they mentioned earlier, uh, which is affirming, caring, interested in each other's feelings. Mental in- intimacy, which is meaningful conversation and shared values and interests. So, so that was kind of cool. You know, that's like, it's more intellectual. You know, it's like we have shared values versus like, oh, we're sharing our feelings. And then the last one that they had was spiritual intimacy, which it says respect for each other's beliefs, shared purpose. Oh, shared purpose nurtures each other's inner peace. So I do want to add, because when I read the spiritual intimacy, Sometimes I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, that's what I say to myself. What does that mean, Steve? So uh, they actually had in this article says, spiritual intimacy can take different forms of expression. Maybe it's a code of value or ethics versus using versus using actual spiritual language or practices. So that resonates with me. I don't know that I would necessarily call it spiritual intimacy if, if I'm designing this or writing this thing, but I get it. She's talking about like values, code of ethics. These are things that you know, like on this podcast, we talk about open relationship. We, we're all kind of cool with that. You know, that's a little bit of like values or code of ethics. It's not necessarily spirituality, but that's definitely something that we sort of, um, I'm going to say sh- share, you know, so I think yeah. that would probably fall under the the spiritual intimacy thing. So, but so again, just to recap is physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Ava, your thoughts. I have so many thoughts. Um, my first thought is I want to challenge the concept that there's only four types of intimacy. I don't, I don't know that for sure. Like this is like a new concept. Like I've never been introduced to this concept of four types of intimacy before, but immediately my mind goes to like, can I think of something that doesn't fall into one of these categories? And, um, let's see, there's, you could consider like, what would psychological intimacy look like? Or what would, what would financial intimacy look like? And I, I, now that I say that financial intimacy, maybe that would fall under mental intimacy. What is financial intimacy? Well, yeah. In what, your mind. what could that look like? Like, could that look like shared, um, like sharing your finances with your partner? Okay. Um, could that look like managing your money the same way as another person? Like if you both like read the same book by the same like financial expert and you share the same values financially about like how you manage your money. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm literally like pulling these ideas out of a hat. Like, what could that look like? And could that fall under one of these categories or is it something totally miscellaneous? Mm -hmm. I just, I really just want to find another type of financial, another type of um, intimacy, literally because she said there's four. I'm like, "Mm, but can we find a fifth one maybe? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, and that's why I was like, I wanted to see like what other people said about this and I could, could never find anything. I mean, I couldn't find anything kind of disproving it 
up, you know, proving it or whatever. But to me, yeah. what I think, what I wanted to include it here is what I think is interesting and, and important. Okay. Is that there's multiple different ways of being intimate with somebody. So mm-hmm. for example, I really wanted to ask Kimberly, like why, you know, why would it, you know, so, like Ava and I share emotional intimacy, mental intimacy and spiritual intimacy, but we don't share the physical intimacy. Kimberly, is that a bad thing? Because mm. Kimberly is big on the physical part. You know, that's, that's something that she really values, you know, like touching with yeah. it goes back to the love languages was one of her things. So I think what happens is very often if you have a friendship or a relationship, it's like you're going to have different levels of these, you know, so what defines your, and if this diagram that came, if you go to the article, that'll be in the link, um, you can sort of see like they have these overlapping circles. So physical and emotional kind of overlap some. So it's like that may be where your relationship is, where it's like, yeah, we share these two, but not so much the spiritual or not so much the mental. And so again, the the takeaway to me is just that there's different types or styles of intimacy and you do not have to mesh with somebody on all of them, you know, but your Mm -hmm. relationship is really based on the, the aspects that you do overlap on that you do share. You know, this, this reminds me a lot of conversations that I've had in the past with people about like, why choose polyamory over monogamy, as far as like my relationship structure goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because, you know, there's a a big part of me that feels that it is a huge, a huge ask, even, you know, a huge responsibility, huge burden, however you want to look at it, to expect one person, one partner to meet all of your needs. Uh, because that's a lot. And if, if we're looking at these four different types of intimacy, like you could also look at it as what are my emotional needs? What are my physical needs, mental, spiritual needs, and expecting one person to kind of check all of those boxes for your life is that sounds overwhelming to me. And it just doesn't sound reasonable, right? Like if I'm really, really passionate about bowling and I love bowling and I find a partner that meets all of my needs, except they cannot stand bowling and they will not go bowling with me. Am I expected to just deal with never having that need or that desire met again? Or can I go and seek out, you know, a friend that likes to bowl and go bowling with them? Right. And you can like, you can substitute bowling for anything. You could substitute bowling for blowjobs, right? Like it could be anything, but it just doesn't feel reasonable to expect one person to meet all of those needs. So for me, based off of what, what you just shared, Steven, I think it makes a lot of sense that you, you can find people that you have, you know, a certain type of intimacy with say emotional intimacy, but not mental intimacy. And that like that, that's okay. Nobody has to check all of the boxes for you in your life. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, I definitely wanted to be a good person and have all, you know, like be able to do cool things, you know, and so, and be appealing to my partners. And so therefore I was trying to sort of be everything, you know, so I was like Mm -hmm. working on that. Like, if I could just get better at this or get better at that, like then things would be okay. And at some point I did learn, I don't know if it was like through my knowledge of like learning about poly, it probably was where it's like, like, isn't that a lot of stress to put on yourself to try to do that, you know? And so now it it has really helped me to sort of be like, no, um, you know, I, I don't want Kimberly or somebody else to, to put these expectations on me to meet every one of their needs. That is now that feels like this huge burden. Like I'm not, I'm, not going to be able to do that, you know, and I really, I agree with you. I don't think anybody can meet the other person's like all of their needs. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not a cut on monogamy. Cause I really think monogamy is like a style. Some people pick it, they pick it for a lot of different reasons, whether it's like, we just feel safe or it's just like, no, we value that commitment to each other. And that's what we want 
totally cool. But even yeah. then, you know, you could be in a monogamous relationship, but I still think it's important to have friends, you know, because like mm -hmm. those friends are going to help make up the difference of what your spouse or partner doesn't do or, or can't do. And so I think that it's healthier to not, I don't know. I don't like asking partners to do things that they don't want to do, you know, because I just feel yeah. like it's like you're, you're pushing them. You're better to go get those needs met someplace else by, by a friend, by another romantic partner, you know, whatever like that. So yeah, I, I, I would agree with you, but I definitely did not understand that when I was younger and I definitely tried to do all of it. And it just, um, you can't, you know, and I think part of it is you always feel a little not inferior. I don't know if that's the right word, but you, but you're, uh, it, it weighs on you a little bit like, you know, Oh, this person, mm -hmm. you know, I might not be good enough for this person because I can't do all these things, you know, and the, yeah, that's the unnecessary guilt. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, the reality is like, once you drop all that, then you're a lot more attractive. That's the flip mm -hmm. side. When you're trying really hard to do these things, it, it's some, it's like, it shows that you're trying really hard, which in some ways is good, you know, but it's like, it, it there, there's not like a level of uncomfortableness maybe with yourself. So it's like, as soon as you stop all that, then you've got that level of comfortness with yourself. And that that's a really attractive trait, you know, and, and, Absolutely. and also it's like, nobody likes perfect people. We do, we're not, <laughs> we really don't, we're not comfortable. If, if we kind of know like nobody's perfect. Right. So when somebody comes yeah. along and they act perfect, we know like, that this is a bunch of bullshit, you know, yeah, this person, like, mm, I don't know what I'm missing here, but I'm definitely yeah. missing something. You're too perfect. Right. Yeah. And so you don't, you really don't kind of trust them, you know? And so it's like, who, uh -huh. who do we trust? We trust the person that makes mistakes and messes up and, you know, and they are, you know, guess, yeah, more human, you know, they have those mm -hmm. kind of aspects and we feel safer. It's like, Oh, they messed up now. Good. Now I'm allowed to mess up too. Like, they're, you yeah. Know, it's not, <laughs> yeah. And that's who we feel comfortable with. So, yeah. I, I will say like one, one thing that I want to point out is like, there's nothing wrong with trying to meet more of your partner's needs. Like if, if, um, if your partner's need, if your partner's love language is physical touch and you're really, really terrible at that and you're actively practicing on improving that and, you know, more hugs or more kisses or more hand touches or whatever, like there's nothing wrong with like working on those types of things. Right. Um, so long as again, at the end of the day, you realize you are enough as you are right now. And I hope that your partner sees that in you as well. Right. Um, I, I would not encourage any person to try to meet a hundred percent of their partner's needs, but there's also nothing wrong with working on a little bit of that improvement along the way too. Like that's also totally fair and totally healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it too as boundaries. Like, okay, I'm going to work on, I'll give you an example. Kimberly, you know, her, her back hurts sometimes. She'll be like, Hey, can you rub my back? Okay. So I'm like, yeah, I can rub your back. But there's certain days where I'm like, I can't rub your back anymore. Like it's like, I have to stop, I, you know, it's too hard on my mm -hmm. hands or whatever like that. So I have to sort of draw that boundary. And I think what happens in those situations then is like, you're, it's always kind of this give and take, right? So then she's got to be like, okay, I guess I can't ask him for, you know, to rub more, you know, like, so she's adjusting her expectations, I guess, too, you yeah. know, and, but you know, me too. I'm like, I can look at her and be like, I know her back hurts but I, I just can't keep doing that. You know, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. I would be doing it all day long, you know, or whatever. And that's not necessarily re realistic. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and her accepting a no in that, in that scenario, right. Where you're drawing a, a line, drawing a boundary and her accepting that, like, that's just going to go to further generate that trust of, okay, I know when, when he doesn't have this to give, I can trust him mm -hmm. to say that I can trust him not to feel obligated to push through it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about people who are, very open 
you know, to trusting and vulnerability and things like that. Right. So they let people in very quickly or they, they share a lot of themselves very easily. You know, um, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on like the dangers? Do you, I assume you see some dangers in that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I honestly, truth be told, I'm a little bit envious of people that can open up easily like that because I'm, I'm not one of them. Like I have to work really hard to like drop barriers. Mm. So my initial like feeling responding to that question is, you know, potentially these people are just really, really good at being themselves and love themselves enough to do that. And if they get met with with rejection in those scenarios where they are, you know, super transparent and, and share all of the things, my hope is that they are they're cool with that. And they're okay with walking away with like, okay, this wasn't a match. But like my, my follow up thoughts to that is like, sometimes people just need time to process or warm up to things. Um, example from my my super kinky lifestyle, like when I first um, started exploring the kink lifestyle, like I was interested in spanking and blindfolds and hair pulling and nothing else. And I would never have been open to concepts like fireplay or needle play or electricity play. Like all of those things are like, "Mm, no, those are definitely not for me, right? And so like, if somebody had tried to like introduce me to all of these things all at once and expect me to be cool with them all at once, I would have ran for the hills, right? right? right. But there's this like gradual process where like you learn a little bit more about this world and then a little bit more and then a little bit more, um, you know, and then then your stance changes. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of think that someone that opens up too much too quickly, can kind of be expecting too much from another person if there's a lot of differences between those two people. And that doesn't mean that those two people can't be awesome together. It just means maybe we need a little bit more warm up time. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking of it along the lines of like oversharing, you know, somebody's mm-hmm. oversharing, right? So in this case, they uh, are overly trusting, right? So they're putting a lot of investment and opening up a lot of vulnerability. Okay. Which we're sitting here going like, Oh, that's good. You know? But I think if you do it too much, it can almost feel like dumping. Now the other person is seeing you do all this, right? And they're now expected to reciprocate, right? But they're like, I don't, I'm not ready to open up that much, you know? And so that kind of like, I guess like we were talking about earlier, like I think really what has to happen is you have to sort of be in balance with what the other person yeah. is doing. So I think it can accidentally feel uh, intimidating or like dumping to the other person. And so again, general rule of like relationships and dating things like is you want to match you know, the level of energy or the place where the other person is. Um, and then gradually, you know, you all go up or down the ladder, you know, to get together. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I was not thinking about it from that angle. <laughs> yeah. it, this, I found this too. This was kind of interesting. It says, uh, one thing I found, it said intimate behavior joins family members and close friends, as well as those in love. It, it evolves through reciprocal self-disclosure and candor. Okay, but then they start talking a little bit. This again, this is from the same Wikipedia article on intimate relationships. And it says like, uh, poor skills in developing intimacy can lead to getting too close too quickly. So struggling to find the boundary and to sustain a connection, being poorly skilled as a friend, rejecting self-disclosure or even rejecting friendships and those who have them. So there are, the way I kind of got out of this is like there are, ways that you can go overboard, you know, just like mm-hmm. you can open up too much and too fast. The, uh, I guess the other opposite of that though, is like not opening up, which, you know, which would be like more of like a fear of intimacy. Um, what, what, what do you think of what, what, when I say fear of intimacy, Ava, like what, what are your thoughts? What comes to mind? 
I have so many thoughts that come to mind when you bring up fear of intimacy, because I do think that I have quite a bit of that. You do? You know, in fear of intimacy, hey, like... Just tell, just, you can just tell me, it's just me, just you and me here. here. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> fear of intimacy is a really rational place for so many humans to end up because you know, we're not, we're not dropping our barriers, uh, to be more vulnerable and transparent and trusting with others because we have learned that we could get hurt. And so we choose not to as a coping mechanism to protect ourselves, right? There's nothing wrong with protecting yourself right. or wanting to protect yourself. We all, every human out there has some kind of coping mechanism for how do I protect myself from getting hurt, whether that's physically or emotionally or psychologically, whatever. Hey, can I interrupt um, real fast? Yeah. Okay. Coping mm -hmm. mechanism. I almost, I know that's the official term. I almost don't like it though, because it sounds like, oh, bad stuff's happening. How can I cope with this? Okay. And mm -hmm. I really think what's going on is like, you had some bad shit come your way and you had to figure the fuck what you're going to do. You know, and yeah. so like all this stuff is like, if you're like the fear of intimacy is like, there are good reasons why you were like, I've got to put up boundaries, you know? And so mm -hmm. I know you're using the word coping mechanism. I want to expand on that and just feel like it's coping because there was some bad shit going on and you had to figure out what to do. Yeah, that's how you manage it. Right. I, I like the term coping mechanism because it kind of puts this label on a behavior that I might might have had that was useful for me at one point in my life protecting myself that maybe isn't serving me now, you know, such as an inability to be intimate with another person. Um, it, it puts this label of like, oh, there's a really rational reason why you did that. It was to protect yourself. It was literally a coping mechanism. And yeah. it's just, I don't know, for me, like it makes sense and it fits and it makes it me feel better about where, you know, where I ended up in, in challenges when it comes to things like fear of intimacy. Yeah. I just don't want yeah. listeners to think of it as like, oh, it's uh, something's wrong with you and therefore you're coping. Ah, that, I that's see what you're saying. right. And I think maybe I'm talking about myself, you know, that's where I think maybe we go sometimes, you know, as uh, when we talk about like, you know, you're not able to handle it. So therefore you're coping. So yeah, no, it's like mm -hmm. people do these things such as fear of intimacy. It's like that evolves for real legit reasons. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, but you feel like you deal with that a lot, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that I've done a lot of work in like dealing with that so that I can be intimate with others. Um, but I, I, we can use you and me for an example. Like, do you remember when we met, I think I had sent you a, a fat life message because I saw one of your scenes at the market and I thought it was so fun looking. <laughs> and then you said, uh, somewhere along the lines, we decided that we were going to meet at one of the local munches and we did. And I don't know if you like picked up on this or not, Stephen, I was such a nervous wreck talking to you and Kimberly at the, at the munch that first evening. And I was so nervous and so scared that it was really difficult for me to just be transparent sure, and sure. just to have like engaging conversations. Like that's been a struggle of mine for years. And it's one that like, I'm always working on and I think I've made a lot of progress, but mm -hmm. it's never, you know, it's not like a perf perfect thing by any means. But now, like if you look at us like several years down the road, how much more comfortable I am having conversations with you now that we have so much like rapport built between us, right. it comes so much easier than it did like the first or even like the second or third time that we interacted in person. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll share something about myself and I don't know, this is probably not applicable for most people maybe, but like for me, when I meet somebody, you had said something earlier about like meeting people or whatever. I think when I meet somebody, I'm very often willing to be the, or it feels like this to me, like I'm the first one to put the vulnerable thing out there. Okay. So in my mind, I'm sort of like, I'm going, this person's going to like me. Like that. Okay. I just, you don't know that for sure, but I'm sort of like, I have enough, I don't know, inner confidence or something like that, that like, um, like I'm a nice guy, nothing majorly wrong with me. Right. So like I can meet this person and I have the skill set to be able to kind of connect with them. 
right? So mm -hmm. therefore, it's like I feel comfortable enough being the first one to put the thing out there. But I feel like once I put that thing out there, they're gonna that's gonna help open them up. They're gonna put them. I'm giving them the power and the control, right? And then they can then be like, oh, okay, this person has opened up a little bit with me, you know, and therefore they're going to be like more, it's going to help put them at ease and be more comfortable, which then mm -hmm. starts that connection, that kind of trust and friendship and that kind of thing. So I do that, whether it's like with clients or business type, you know, in a business setting, it's like, you know, I try to do it then, but I just, I, I do it a lot. I feel like I'm very often happy to be the first one to put the thing out there because I just feel like as soon as you do it, it's going to get reciprocated. That person is going mm -hmm. to notice that. But I, I don't think most people are like that. Have you ran into situations where maybe once in a blue moon, it's not reciprocated? Yeah. And it is weird. It's just weird because <laughs> it's like, I'll be like, like, I'm trying really hard to connect with this person. Like, and it's like, there's nothing. Like, that's what it feels mm -hmm. like. It's not necessarily you get a bad response. It's just that you get no, like no feedback, right? Like yeah. you're interacting with a wall, you know, and it's like, why, you know? And then some of that is like, you just, you never really get to know the answer, you know, because it's a wall, right? So you just, you, mm -hmm. there's no feedback. And that's the thing that is weird, I guess, is not getting any kind of feedback. And I think it's, you know, it's not bad in the sense it's not negative feedback, but I feel like sometimes it's just like, all right, like, I guess I'm not really able to connect well with that person, you know? So it does happen, but it's, it's really rare for me to, to get negative feedback. You yeah. Know? And some of that is, again, if you put yourself out there and do something reasonable, people are not going to turn around and be like a dick to you. Like that's, mm -hmm. that would be weird. Like I'm trusting you. And then they're like, I'm a dick, you know, like people don't, <laughs> they just don't normally act that way. You know? Sure. So anyway. Uh, see, I, I think that's, that's the area where I struggle is you are, you have this practice where you, you kind of put out that first like nugget of vulnerability and that's almost like giving the other person like permission to reciprocate it. it like is. it's okay. You're safe with me. You can yeah. do this. And the fear on my end of, of practicing something like what you described is, oh, but what if they don't, right? Like, so those, those few times that you've described where like, it's not reciprocated and you're just not getting any feedback. It's like, oh, those are the, the, those are the things that are making me nervous. Like, dear God, I hope this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what has kind of like held me back in the past is that fear. That's what I'm always trying to work through of, no, you're Ava, you're a generally likable person. Like if you just put yourself out there, you'll be fine. Right. Um, and I think that fear of rejection is really, really what comes to the forefront. And we've, we've talked about rejection in the past, how, you know, sometimes rejection has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with, you know, what's going on in their lives and what's on their plate. And maybe they just don't have room for this right now with you. Mm -hmm. Maybe they will tomorrow or next month, or maybe they never will, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you if you're not getting that vulnerability reciprocated. Yeah. I, I will say I had the hardest time asking girls out. I could not really, Oh my God, I could not <laughs> fucking do it. I mean, like it was, um, what do you call it? Like kind of paralyzing, you know? And that's, I think that's one reason I'm working on this podcast and doing the ethical seduction, right? It's because now I, I'm going to say it was me. It was, you know, in this particular case, it was not the other person that was really intimidating or anything like that, but I had some you know, again, kind of some false ideas and things like that in my head. And I put certain pressures on myself that were, they just didn't have to be there. Right. But there was mm -hmm. that, that aspect basically of that fear of rejection and, um, you know, what is that going to say about me? And, and it was, it was hard. Yeah. And so I think like now it's not, you know, you get to a certain point, 
uh, you know, it's like a tipping point and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you're worried about it, but all of a sudden you get to this point and you're like, you're over it. Right. And you start to get that positive feedback and then that positive feedback just gets you more and more and more and more. And it's easy. Right. So, and I, so for me though, I think it's like, I just did not, it was a hard time seeing things clearly in order to be able to approach somebody, talk to them, you know, not thinking of it as critical maybe of myself or whatever, but I, I don't know. It's hard to remember. I almost think like I didn't really ask people out until I kind of knew the answer. And I mm-hmm. still, that is still kind of my suggestion to people. Like, I really think like you want to, if I meet somebody now, I do not meet them and have the intention right off the bat of like, oh my God, like I want to, you know, play with them, sleep with them, date them. I don't have that. Right. So I'm meeting a person. It's just like, it's just a person. We're just fun. And I'm interested, usually interested in them. Like who, what, what is interesting about them? How, you know, how can we like overlap and shared interests and connect and things like that? And then over time, as that kind of develops, that's where it might be like, okay, now I am interested in maybe playing with this person or it depends on how the conversation goes. But, uh, so by the time I'm asking somebody to play, I think I already have feedback from them that like they're interested too, because we've had these very easy kind of conversations. And so I sort of know the answer. So right now my typical suggestion to somebody is like, don't go asking them out until you kind of know the answer. You know, if you don't know the mm-hmm. answer, then you have not done enough of the sort of work to develop things to where you're going to get that. Yes. So that is Steve theory right there. <laughs> What you're, what you're sharing takes me back to when we were talking about the four different types of intimacy, right? Before asking someone out on a date where you're exploring like romantic um, or like sexual intimacy type things, like maybe, you know, get to know them a little bit and start thinking through like mental intimacy, like how can I connect with this person that way or spiritual intimacy, like shared values and things like that. Maybe figure out other pieces of the puzzle before exploring that that corner of things mm-hmm. and, and, you know, navigating uh, more romantic or like sexual interests, fill out, fill out some of those other like gaps and get to know them a little bit better. That way, when you like, Stephen, like you said, by the time you get around to asking the question, you know them well enough, you feel safe enough asking the question because you, you have a good idea of what the answer is probably going to be. Yeah. 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 I want to know wh- why are they cool? And then once I kind of yeah. know that, then it's like, for an example of like playing with somebody, it's like, okay, now I know why this person's cool. You know, what about them makes me want to play with them? You know, mm-hmm. that, that draws me in. Cause so you could be cool, but it's like, it's not triggering me to want to play, you know, that, that kind of way. But every, everybody has really cool stuff about them. You do have to like, and I do really enjoy this of like drawing it out. And so Ava, I probably did a little bit of that with you, not necessarily thinking about it on purpose or whatever, but just trying to be safe, knowing that as you opened up, I was going to get to see the the real you and the cooler parts of you, mm-hmm. you know, which now I can tell you, it's like you, I just think you're very, very smart and you're very intellectual and you're very deep about these things. And I really admire you. That's why you're on the show with me, you know, is, and, and you know, that's why I was like, Ava, I need you. Will you do the show with me? <laughs> but it's, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how that went down. That is how that went down. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. Okay. You go ask Kimberly. Kimberly will tell you, he was like, yeah, Steve was like, yeah, I've got to get, I really want to have Ava on the show. (laughs) Well, I'm honored. Thank you. (laughs) But no, I really value that stuff, you know? So it's like, yeah, in the beginning, I probably didn't know that aspect of you, but again, it's like, you know, that discovery 
that discovery part is really fun, you know, and diff- everybody's going to be a little bit different, you know, so it's like, what, what is cool about them? And then you can decide mm-hmm. later, like, okay, are you really interested in playing with them or, or dating or having the romantic relationship? And so, uh, this yeah. was, I want to s- switch over. Um, this was interesting too. There was another article I wanted to, to find out again, kind of like what are the downsides of intimacy or the, the things that people really wrestle with. Right. So one of the things was infidelity. So that, I think that's a topic that people very often are like, you know, my spouse cheated on me and how am I ever going to learn to trust them again? You know, and mm-hmm. how am I, and they might use the word trust, but I'm going to say, how am I ever going to learn to be intimate with them to have, but it is trust, you know, trust, trust and vulnerability, you know, big part of, of that. So this one article, um, they had, they broke it down into three phases. So it was called the three phases of erotic recovery after infidelity. So erotic recovery. So it's like, how do you get, like, I don't know, I guess maybe they're talking about physical, you know, connecting as well. That's probably what it is. So-and-so cheated on me. You can tell how well I read this article, but I did, <laughs> I did, I skimmed through it. But uh, the erotic recovery, I think is like more of like, you know, hey, my partner has cheated on me. How am I going to feel comfortable taking my clothes off and having the physical intimate connection with them? But the bigger part I'm going to say in that is like, forget the physical part. How am I going to have that connection with them again? Any connection, yeah. Yeah. So this came from uh, recovery.org. And where is it? It's the American Addiction Centers. You know? Oh. So I think that's, yeah, I think like, okay, this is, I was really, that's one of the things that caught my attention. I'm like, okay, I want to hear what they have to say. And so they brought yeah. it down, broke it down into like really three phases. So they said like, first, you're in like a crisis phase. And you're going to feel like emotionally unsafe. So like, hey, your partner has cheated on you. They, um, you, you feel betrayed, right? So you're in crisis phase, phase one, and you're going to feel like emotionally unstable and you may lose sleep. You might need to remind yourself to eat healthy and to take care of yourself. You know, you're just like basically shaken up at that particular stage. You know, they've, you've lost, lost some trust, right? Then phase two, I thought was interesting. So it says like, as it goes on, it's like, you will recognize when you're entering phase two, the insight phase, when you start referring to the infidelity as our affair instead of your affair. And there's gonna be less blame and more curiosity. So it says you may, you will ask, how did this happen to us? You know, there'll be less focus on the details of the affair. Like how many times did you meet with him? Where did you guys have sex? Were her boobs bigger than mine, Ava? And then you will focus... (laughs) Sorry, light of the situation. Please don't apologize. <laughs> and and you'll focus on the emotional content of the affair instead. Like, were you thinking of me when you were with him or her? Which I thought that was kind of a funny statement because I'm sure the answer is like a little bit. You know, like you're. I'm sure the other person you're cheating on is like in the back of your head. You know, like. But they're also not like, oh, I'm making love to them and I'm pretending that they're you. Like, I don't think that's happening either. So anyway, I thought that right. was kind of a funny statement at the end. But but that insight phase, it's changing. It's like, it's not your problem. Now it's like, no, it's our problem. And, you know, that makes total sense to me. And I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. And then the third phase, they said, the vision phase of your recovery. So now is the time to decide if you want to create a new future for your relationship, meaning you don't have to. You know, but you can decide if you want to. You must both create a new monogamy agreement together. So that's just the way this thing is is written. Uh, you will have mm-hmm. to decide and negotiate what that new monogamy will look like. So we could say that new relationship will look like. This will include a new erotic life, one that is satisfying to your boat to you both. This understanding is crucial to an exciting and passionate relationship. 
So forget the word monogamy, just put it relationship in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, I thought, yeah, okay, that's what it is. It's the phase three is like, how are we going to not rebuild this? But it's, it's like, we've had an incident happen. How do we, where do we go from here? Which means in my mind, like there's been red flags, you know, so we're going to go forward, but I'm also going to be aware that this has happened in the past. And so we're going to be going forward slowly with more caution, that kind of thing. What do you think? I have so many thoughts about this. I'm really curious to go and read this article, actually. Everything that you you just said, like this does not necessarily sound like, you know, a, a how-to guide for erotic recovery, specifically after infidelity, after cheating. It sounds like any any major conflict that you would have with somebody that you're in a relationship with, right? I, I, I listen to everything that you just said, and I think, oh, I've had relationships in the past where something happened and one of us felt really betrayed or broken and we thought the relationship might be over. And then we got to have a conversation about like, you know, how did we get here? Like, I thought everything was fine. And then I woke up one, one day and everything wasn't like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And start digesting like what, how exactly did this, you know, both of us, like where did both of us have opportunities that could have led to somewhere besides where we are now, right? And then, and then like the, the phase three part, like the vision phase that you were talking about, I... I always think that love is a verb when so many people think of it as a noun, right? Love is something that comes easy in the beginning and like that new relationship energy phase. And then when that wears off, maybe you don't like your partner every single day. You're going to have conflict sooner or later with them at some point. There are going to be things that annoy them about you and vice versa. There are going to be hard times that you guys have to work through. So every single day becomes a decision of, I choose to love you not just I love you, but I choose to, right? So if you're in the middle of this really, really terrible conflict with your partner, whether it was cheating or anything else, you still get to choose to love them. They still get to choose to love you. And if you both choose to love each other, then you can enter that vision phase of, of, of this recovery model mm -hmm. where you get to map out like, this is where we are in our relationship, not a great place. This is where we would like to be because we both love each other. Let's talk about how we can get there. Yeah, yeah. 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 And this article does not tell you how to get there. It's more of just the general outline of really of these three phases that you go through these, mm -hmm. this sort of cycle. So, but, but I thought, I thought it was cool and interesting, you know, and, uh, and yeah. worth, worth noting. So, um, Ava, why is intimacy important? So that we can connect to others and be vulnerable and be seen and trust people in our lives. And because, and because ultimately we accomplish more as a team. So that, I, you know, yes. that person in, in, you know, ancient history that broke their leg and they were an ass, so they got left out in the cold and they died. If you work with others and if you're vulnerable with them and if people trust you and like you, they're going to do more for you. And then you as a group, whether that's a team or a relationship or a family or a community or a society, you will accomplish more. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I, I really agree with you. I mean, to me, it came right down to that. Like, it's like, we're, we're a society, you know, and we need to sort of, I'm going to say trust each other and work together, you know? And so the, that's why the intimacy is important. And, um, one thing I think is funny is like it, the selfishness, I think is a really good thing in the sense that if you didn't have like, so you could be like, well, why do I care about working with these other people? I only care about working with these other people because I want them to take care of me later on if I ever need mm. it, you know? So you could spin it that that's selfish. And I think there, I think there's something to that, right? So I don't think selfishness is always a bad thing because selfishness, you could also say, is the reason we love each other, 
you know, that I want mm-hmm. to have a good life. Because of that, I value the other people around me. You know, so you're not going to have love, connection, intimacy without a certain amount of like selfishness. So I don't, I think selfishness, again, this is just my own thoughts, gets a bad rap, you know, that that person acts selfish. Well, there's a lot, and again, this goes back to the evolution kind of stuff that I really find interesting is like where it's like, you know, how do organisms develop and taking care of themselves and wanting to survive is like a big thing. But I think when you, you get over to like people and because we're social, it's like, yeah, I'm willing to run into that house that is on fire to save a person that I do not know because basically my genes and stuff have told me like that's important to, to go do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that almost like overrides that selfishness, but it still is like, it's still an aspect of selfishness. It's like, no, I have this drive to like, we're in this together, you know? And yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And so the intimacy, I think everybody like wants to be intimate and that's, you know, that's a goal, I think for most of us to try to have that connection, to be loved, to be valued, to be liked and appreciated. We want that. And then it's like, how do you get there? Which goes back to the very beginning where you're like, oh, this is, I don't understand. Like, I think (laughs) you just do it. (laughs) I think it is like a simple kind of thing, but then it's like drawing a picture or something. It's like, there's a whole, a million ways to do it. And it's like, how, how are you going to, how are you going to get there? That's, that's Mm. the kind of tricky thing. So it's not, it's not easy to create that thing. But I think, you know, we, we sort of, I really think it's just, yeah, giving and wanting to be valued and appreciated and loved. I think mm-hmm. that's it. Listeners, you now, you know, n- now know the answer to everything. That, can, that <laughs> includes all the ethical seduction podcasts. Thank you for listening to us. Next Go forth and conquer the world. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, I guess, you know what? I was going to say we're finished with the, all the ethical seduction podcasts, but you know what? We probably should talk about jealousy next week. Now, everybody loves jealousy, oh. right? That's a fun topic. <laughs> I don't know about loves jealousy, but sure. You don't think they love jealousy? Do um, you love jealousy? I did do a class. Like, when I was doing my class, I had a section called fun with jealousy. Oh. Okay. But uh, I think what we want, what I want to focus on like next week, and Ava's, Ava's going to lead us on this because Ava loves relationships and she also <laughs> loves jealousy. She's never felt jealous in her life, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm <not> sure. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about easing jealousy, things that you can do. Like we're going to talk about jealousy, but also we want to leave you with like t- like actual things you can do for yourself or with partners to kind of help ease that and make make things better and easier for everybody. Um, if you're a first time listener, please remember you can subscribe, and that way we'll pop down into your podcast player. We are on like. I'm going to say all the podcast players, Pandora, we're supposed to get approved for like this week. I think that's like the last one, but we're on like iHeartRadio and Stitcher and Apple and Google and all those things. Um, so we're, I think we're pretty much everywhere. So just, yeah, hit subscribe and we'll be coming. That way you can keep track of us. Every episode uh, comes out on Friday and you can also go to ethicalseduction.com for, we have blogs and basically we're trying to make a library. So when you have a topic you want to know more about, you can go find some information on there and you can either check out a past podcast episode or, you know, like I say, a blog page or some other information. So trying to build that. So ethicalseduction.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook and FetLife as Ethical Seduction. So everywhere. And if you have questions, things like that, that you would like us to, topics you'd want us to cover, like please, you know, let us know. Shoot me an email, steven at ethicalseduction.com. There's a link on the website if you want to do that. There's a button on the website if you want to leave us a voicemail. So, you know, we we like hearing from people and we, we appreciate that. So thank you, Ava. 
Thank you, Stephen. It's been very intimate and very nice, just the two of us. <laughs> I think so as well. Thank you. Very, very uh, stimulating and pleasurable. Yeah, just just the three. <laughs> pleasurable. It's been very pleasurable. So just just the three of us, you and me and all the other people out there. Right, and the listeners. Yeah, and the listeners. So, thank you, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. See you later, Vice.